Alrighty, good afternoon, Whitewater. You're listening to 91.7 The Edge at WSU Whitewater. My name is Joe Maurer, and I will be your host for the next hour that is dedicated to the first official radio broadcast of the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project. The Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project is a statewide multi-UW campus community collaboration project founded in 2012 at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, a rural campus between Madison and Milwaukee. The project uses the collection of stories and recorded interviews, known in the academic world as oral histories, to engage in rural and urban communities alike in conversations about farming and food production, especially as they relate to race, ethnicity, cultural roots, and the history of this great state. To date, five UW campuses, UW-Madison, Milwaukee, Oshkosh, Eau Claire, and Whitewater, and over 250 students and faculty have together collected over 300 oral histories. This collection includes stories from Wisconsin residents and families representing communities of Hmong, African American, European, Hispanic, and Native American descent. I am an intern for this project at the UW-Whitewater campus, and for the next few months, I will be conducting live interviews on the air with people who have a connection with agriculture or agricultural roots here, here in the state. We will discuss their involvement in Wisconsin agriculture, as well as their connection with Wisconsin agricultural history. Of course, being a project that cares very deeply about diversity, the people I will be interviewing will have their own roots in an array of ethnicities and backgrounds. While the official name of our organization is the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project, the name of our broadcast is called Wisconsin Farms Radio. Today I am joined in the studio by two good friends of mine. Standing or sitting next to me now is Annette Weedle and Emily Lanigan. Annette grew up on a rural farm on the outskirts of Beaver Dam, and, he, and she is here with us today to share her experiences pertaining to life and memories growing up on a farm in Wisconsin. Emily is a fellow intern of the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project, and she is here to discuss her experience and research in the project. She's conducted some very delicate research and analysis of Wisconsin agricultural history for the project in the last few months, and I think you will find her input about her research very interesting. But let's begin with Annette. For starters, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your age, major, your life here at Whitewater, etc. Hello, my name is Annette Weedle, and I'm a junior here at UW-Whitewater. I'm studying elementary education, and I'm minoring in Spanish. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to talk about my experiences on a farm and just to be able to relate it to what Joe has been talking about through his studies here at Whitewater. That's wonderful. And just to reiterate, you grew up in Beaver Dam on a, in a farm that's in here in south-central Wisconsin, right? Correct. Awesome. Um, for starters, why don't you start off by telling us um, just a little bit about the farm, like what kind of livestock you raised, what kinds of, you know, just what kind, yeah, what kinds of animals you raised, like your specific jobs on the farm, just a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so I've lived on a farm for my whole life, and ever since I was little, we've raised Holstein beef, and we still do to this day. Um, so my farm was um, right outside of Beaver Dam, and we also had a farm that was my grandparents' farm that was five minutes away from my house, so it runs in the family. Um, their farm, they had Holstein dairy, so every night around 5.30 after my dad would get done doing chores at my house, he would go over to my grandparents' house and they would milk the cows, but um, when I was in seventh grade, they stopped milking, and so it was mainly... Um, business was done at my farm. So, for example, um, we started off getting cows just like a couple days after they were born. We got them from the Nails Brothers Farms, which is outside of Juneau, Wisconsin. Um, and so we started off bottle feeding the cows, and then eventually we put them on milk and then gave them feed. And so we raised the cows until they were known as steers. Um, and so once they were big enough to go to the sale barn, we brought them to Reeseville, and that is where we sold them. Um, and then we also had Holstein um, heifers as well, but those were not milking cows. Okay, that's wonderful. So, so from what I gathered from that last part, you had you raised beef cattle and dairy cattle a little bit, but mostly beef cattle. Yeah, my farm was strictly beef, but my grandparents had dairy. Okay. That's wonderful. So it sounds like from what you said that farming has been in your family. It's been particularly in your family for the past few generations. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, my personal family with my mom and dad, we've had a farm since 1985. 
Oh, okay. Okay, wonderful. Um, so nineteen eighty five. That's that's your personal farm, though. Correct. Do you, do you yep. know how far back and generation you go with your family in farming and beef cattle, or is there any specific type of farming that goes back generations? Um, I believe that around the year nineteen thirty seven was how long the farm has been in our family. So oh, 1937, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, for quite a long time. 1937, huh? So right at the outbreak of the New Deal. Right yeah. At the outbreak of the Great Depression, my bad. Yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So it sounds like you have some great memories of the farm, though, you, as you said, growing up and mm-hmm. coming home for supper and everything, or what you mm-hmm. said, I think you mentioned something like that. Um, what, um, what specific fond memories do you have of growing up on the farm? And, do, like, just share with the audience what... What specific memories you have? Um, well, some of my favorite memories was probably all the open space that we had. Um, we had a, a huge cornfield and just a lot of land. So whenever we had friends over, we could play ghosts in the graveyard, um, play volleyball, have bonfires, which was really cool. And we could be as loud as we want because nobody was by us. But talking back to the farming aspect, um, I really enjoyed just being able to... Um, see the animals grow from when they were little to when they got bigger, um, and just naming them was a lot of fun. Um, I also really enjoyed bottle feeding the calves when they were little. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. And also, um, one of my favorites was um, just learning to drive a tractor at the age of 13 to help my dad get the hay bales in and just kind of just the timeline of how everything works. Like, there's harvest time, so that would mean, like, my dad would be out in the field later, and then during the winter, things were a little more slow, but then when the summer picked up, it was always cool um, to just talk about how the corn would grow, and there was one summer, I can't remember the year, but we didn't get, like, any rain, so it really hurt our farm, and I just remember my parents were really nervous about their crops not being able to grow, but then one night it rained, and so that was a really cool memory, because we basically all ran outside, because we were so happy that our crops were finally getting rain, um, and it's also just been really cool to, um, specifically having, Farm dogs is what the type of dogs we get to help herd the cattle. Right now we have an Australian Kelpie, so it's just been also a really cool experience to see the different dogs that we've had since I've been born just grow up with us and be our family pet and just work with the cows too. Um, so those are probably some of my most fondest memories. Wow, that's those are some really cool memories there. But it sounds like you got quite the resume builder with the uh, wow, learn to feed bottle cat, learning to bottle feed calves, and learn to drive a tractor at thirteen. That's quite the uh, quite the resume booster right there. Um, yeah, let's expand upon that a little more. So I know you said, um, yeah, learning to drive a tractor at thirteen. Were there? Did you have a lot of chores growing up on the farm? Did you like that? Was that like a big specific one, or were there any like? Did you? How do I say this? Do you have? Did you, did you remember, like, having, like, specific chores you always did on the farm besides the bottle feeding the calves or, like, learn to drive a tractor at 13? And, like, how, how does that experience, like, shape you now? Or and do you feel, how do you feel about that? Um, it definitely just makes me feel like I'm tough because, like, I'm a farm girl, so, like, I can handle anything, like, poop on my shoes, no big deal. So it's kind of just, like, how I go about life is just um, taking on challenges because of, like, the lessons that shape me were, like, are also just um, doing different farm tasks. They did take, like, a lot of strength and, like, dedication, like lifting hay bales or um, cleaning the cow pen. Um, it all was just, like, a lot of hard work. So I feel like that shaped me as a person to just, like, um, go for challenges and to never give up because, I mean, I've been through, like, running a farm, so I feel like that's a pretty big challenge itself. Right. It's, it takes an incredible amount of work, of course. Mm-hmm. And... On top of that, too, um, yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. You mentioned something about, you know, being a farm girl and everything. What, growing up in your experience, did you ever see there's been this sort of, uh, I don't know, this social stigma I know in the past generations about, like, the farm kids from the city kids and everything, you know, like there's all sorts of derogatory names and everything of them. Do you remember I either, you know, feeling... Um, like you were part of like the farm crowd or like you remember ever being like, like not sort of ostracized, but mm-hmm. like made like made being like made fun of in your past or anything like being like the farm girl or like there being like the social stigma against the farm mm-hmm. girls and the city girls or the farm kids and the city kids and all. Do you remember right. any experiences like that? Um, 
Well, for me growing up, I was always really shy to admit that I lived on a farm because I just automatically assumed that people were going to be like, ew, you live on a farm? That's like, you must smell bad or like, that smells bad. But actually, surprisingly, many people thought that was like super cool. And they're like, can I come and like pet your calves or like play with your cows? And I was like, sure, like if you want to. So I feel like I basically stereotyped myself and to thinking that I had to like try to play it off like oh I'm like a city girl at heart but it like really wasn't the case um so I I basically didn't even get like any um like made fun of or anything from it from other students I was actually like kind of praised for it which was really cool and um it was also cool because I lived in a like a farming community so there was a lot of other kids around me that lived on farms um and a lot of my friends were in 4-H with me, um, so that was just cool to be able to connect with other people who lived on the farm, so I, like, wasn't the only person that was, like, experiencing it. That's wonderful. Yeah, so even though there wasn't, it was not what you were, thought it was going to be when you revealed that you, like, lived on a farm and you were, like, a quote-unquote farm girl or mm-hmm. whatever, um, even though that you still had the stereotype in your head that like if people were gonna make fun of you and everything, and that it was like a it was some sort of bad thing, but it's it's interesting though that you would think that because like I mean farmers we they are the backbone of society like without farming mm-hmm. without agrarian society we cannot live without this nation was built on agrarian society right, yeah. so it's really it's like this this social stigma against farming the farming community is really it's just sort of sort of ridiculous even though mm-hmm. I don't see it that way now but from what I've gathered it's in the past I don't know Emily you want to chime in here is it from your research has there been a uh, social stigma against like farming communities in the past and everything have you noticed that um I haven't really come across any sources that have said that but I mean I can kind of see where you would be worried about you know like oh you must smell like cows or something (laughs) like that but it's definitely not the case though no, That's not wonderful. at all. You mentioned 4-H, and well, first of all, thank you for sharing about that. About yeah, us. of course. And, um, you mentioned 4-H, and that you're, you, a lot of your friends were in 4-H with you. Can you tell mm-hmm. us some of the stuff and activities you did in 4-H? Oh, sure. Um, so for 4-H, I showed sheep at the fair, which was actually a really big challenge for me because it was something different. Um, to get used to, but I did it for one year, and then I realized it just wasn't for me, but I was really happy that I partook in the experience. I got to learn about another farm animal besides cows. Um, I also did photography and rubber stamping, um, and then just like a lot of service activities is what we did through 4-H, and I also served as um, the secretary my sophomore year in high school, so I was a part of Lipstick 4-H. Oh, that's wonderful. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. So, did you ever have any connection when you were in high school? I know, did you ever have any connection with um, FFA, Organizations of Future Farmers of America, for our viewers out there who don't know what that stands for? Um, it's an organization that is brought by, usually by local high schools and local middle schools to some extent that promote farming and farming activities in the schools. Annette, did you ever have any experience with that in your high school or your junior high school? Right, um, so I never partook in FFA, but I always supported it, and I had friends who were in it, so I heard about their experiences. So I definitely recommend the program if you're interested in learning about farming or just helping out the community, but I myself um, was never enrolled in it. Okay, interesting. Well, we do promote the FFA here, the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project. I know any organization that promotes farming and farming activities, we wouldn't be, we are proud to support. And um, being a organization, as I mentioned before, an introduction that promotes diversity and diverse conversation amongst the farming community. I was going to ask you, Annette, as a as a woman that grew up on a farm in South Central Wisconsin, did you have any experience with diverse communities or diverse um, citizens, as in race and ethnicity, um, in the farming community? Did you do you have any fond memories of that, or is it, or was that not the case for your situation? Um, for the most part, it wasn't too diverse. Um, I just remember at the farm we would go to to. Um, get our calves. There was a lot of Hispanic workers there, but that was basically like the only diversity that I saw for the most part. Like everyone in my community was um, Caucasian, Caucasian, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, 
That's that's very interesting. So from what you gathered, it was mostly there was some Hispanic workers on the farm that you gathered some of your products from. Right. It was mostly Caucasian members of Caucasian descent who ran farms. Yeah. Okay. Correct. And you yourself are of Caucasian descent. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. So you do not have any fond memories of that. Have you have you had any memories ever since? Um, did did your I'm sorry. Did your experience with the members of the Hispanic the workers did that change your perception of the farming community at all, or did it affect your how you perceived your work as a farmer? Did that achieve? Did that? Um, did you did that change your perception at all, or? Um, not too much. I just noticed that they were really hard working and it seemed like they enjoyed their job a lot so I just kind of related it to Caucasians where we really are hard working and enjoy our work so I feel like they're both similar in their interest and their um just their enjoyment of farming they both seem to really have a good time with it right of course of course um yeah, it's very interesting. I was doing um, a project last semester I had for one of my history classes. It was actually intro to public history, and we made a museum exhibit, and we had to um, we had to pick an area related because it was associated with the Wisconsin mm-hmm. Farms Oral History Project. And we made my, me and my group members we made a exhibit on the Hispanic community in Wisconsin farming, and that was very interesting. It seems like that more from what I've experienced from what I've gathered from that research, but then again, like, I know your experience being firsthand, being a primary source, mm-hmm. that would be far more credible. But from what I've gathered, it was that was that the Hispanic worker community in Wisconsin here and the farming community are more of um, migrant workers who have come here to work and from various Latin American nations, and then they, they come to work and they... Uh, yeah, they're just very hardworking, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's from my guide research, and I know that confirms like what, with what you said. So wonderful, thank you very much yep. for your input and your. <laughs> of course. Thank you very much for your input. We will come back to you. We will come back in a little bit, but right now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to Emily, who's been sitting very patiently over <laughs> here. Thanks, hey. thanks for joining us today, Emily. Oh, thanks for having me. As I said before, Emily, her, her name is Emily Lanigan. She is a intern with, she's a fellow intern of the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project with me. And while I have been more of the, not so much research end of it, more of like the, I don't know, the public projects, rela- projects, yeah. projects, public relations end of the project, you've been more of the, the it, you've been more of the research, the more yeah. like what's, what's going on behind the scenes. So first of all, before we get into your work here, I want to just, how about you tell us a little about yourself, your age, major, etc. Uh, well, I'm Emily, I'm 20 years old, and I'm a sophomore here at Whitewater. I am a history major with an emphasis in public history and a minor in art history. So I hope to one day go on to do museum studies and hopefully be a curator somewhere. Wonderful. Glad to have you with us. Emily, I know a lot of our listeners out there, they know, like, they get a general sense of history, and probably a lot of our listeners out there, probably most of you grew up not liking history to a certain extent. That's, I don't know about oh, yeah. you, that's generally the reaction I get when I tell people I'm a history major. It's like, oh, that's really cool, or oh, I hated that in school. So yeah, everybody definitely is shocked when I tell them I study history because yeah. I love it, because their usual reaction is, oh, that was my least favorite subject in oh, school. Yeah, yeah. It's so boring, just memorizing dates. Oh, yeah, yeah. My, 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 my SI students usually give me that reaction oh, when yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was also, but um, with that being said, most people have a general sense when we talk about history, but they don't know when we talk about public history. Mm-hmm. So while this is the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project, and it, it is, that is, which is a figment of um, public history, why don't you tell us a little bit just generally what public history is? Well, public history is kind of what it sounds like. It's just presenting history to the public. So it just is, um, well, most historians you'd think of are the trained PhD that go and do research and write those really complicated journal entries and things like that. Uh, What public history people do is take all of those complicated works and kind of present it in a more user-friendly kind of way. So it's museum curators, um, historic preservationists, I mean, just taking history and making it a little bit more interesting to the public than in the classroom. Okay, wonderful. So it's not like your cliché 
from what you said, it's not your cliche uh, man in a tweed jacket getting no, up there and no. talking about history from a dusty from a dusty podium <laughs> or anything like that. It's more of if you visited, you know, your local museum or you've been mm -hmm. to a local house that's been preserved. I know growing up in Portage, Wisconsin, we have plenty of those set yeah. houses. So um, it's more if you've seen, for those of you out there listening, if you've ever watched History Channel or if you are a viewer of Netflix, um, <laughs> you have probably seen those Ken Birds documentaries. That's all public history, folks. And yeah, just the less academic side, yeah. more so, interesting side, I like to think. Yeah, more interesting side. Yeah, relating yeah. it to people. and Right, getting it out to the public and trying being connected to the public. It's interesting how public history, it seems like, you know, historians get this stigma, like the academic historians get this stigma that, like, oh, they're, like, very, like, introverted and only talk to, like, small groups of people about very yeah. complicated things. But public historians, we're, like, very, we're very open to the public and oh, very... Yeah. Well, yeah. we just, I'm in that intro to public history class mm -hmm. that you were in last semester with Dr. Levy, and we just had an assignment where we had to take this long or not essay, this long document in this paper, and we had to condense it to present to a public audience. And it's really hard. Oh, yeah, it's, an, it's incredibly hard. It is, yeah, taking all that crazy, I don't know, historic academic speech and then just making it to where, like, the average 12-year-old could read it. I know, it's crazy to yeah. think about that. Well, folks, moral of the story, thank your local public historian out there, for those of you that don't like history but have to learn about it, So, because it's incredibly important. So, getting back in the swing of things yes. now, let's focus more on the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project. Um, so, let's start off with, Emily, as I said, you have been an intern on, or you are an intern on the Farm Project. How about, mm -hmm. how, do you, how about you tell the audience out there how long you have been a, an intern on the well, project? I'm generally new to the project. I started it last... Uh, semester around November, okay. so I'm still like getting into the swing of things, but I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on my own research that I've been doing with it. Right, and that's what, um, why I would like, that's why I brought you in here today. I would like mm -hmm. you, as for the first broadcast, Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project, why don't you give the audience out there a brief, um, a brief rundown of your entire research and just talk about like what you've been working on for this past semester. All right. Well, as a researcher, I um, well, Professor Levy, just to start me off with, gave me this one farm to research, and it's the Vang C and C farm, um, and they are a Hmong couple that moved here in 1976 and started farming. Um, so what I do for that is called contextual research, where if um, they mentioned something in their in interview, like he worked for the USA during the secret war in Laos. So I go and I do a bunch of research on uh, maybe Laos during the time that he was there, or I do a bunch of research on the secret war and different things like that. So I also kind of become, I like to think, like a stalker of this poor family <laughs> because I do all of this research about them, and I just Google has been my best friend with it, <laughs> where I just Google their farm and who they are. And I've, um, I recently had kind of a little breakthrough with, I've been researching the history of the farmland that they're on because the family themselves has, haven't been on it for a long time. So that took a lot of digging. I've had to have help with how to read plat maps uh, to learn about who has owned the farm in the past. Mm -hmm. So I found I was able to trace back the history of their farm and the ownership to 1845 oh, wow. and all of the people that have owned it before this family has. So it's just really cool to get to see like how this has just changed hands to different people and but the tradition is still there. And now it's with this Hmong family who aren't even native to Wisconsin, but they're just, I mean, they're the first uh, Hmong farm to be organically certified. So they're big on the community and teaching them how to farm and eating healthy. And it's just really interesting. That is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a lot. And yeah. it's, very, it's very incredible the work you've done just this past semester with everything you've done. And I know I speak for the entire farm project when we say you are a great asset to the project, so oh, I want to thank, thank you. you for that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's very interesting. I actually met the Vang family. Mm -hmm. I know I know you, you, you've met with them before. Oh, yeah, I, I just yeah. went, uh, last Tuesday, I went with Professor Levy and interviewed them for oh, the first wonderful. time. It oh. was 
They're just the nicest couple. It's oh, they really are. Great. They yeah. are. They're wonderful people. Are you going to be using them for your intro to public history project in I'm the end of the semester? I'm not sure. We haven't started talking about our museum project yet. Oh, okay. Good deal. Well, me and you could talk about that later. But yeah. <laughs> for right now, um, so yeah, that's very interesting. And it's it's, again, that just reiterates the elements in the project that we are dedicated to diversity and mm-hmm. um, yeah just diversity throughout all the arrays of Wisconsin farming tell us a little bit what has been your experience or what is your first reaction when you hear about this diversity that you re- the diversity of the Vang family and their work in the Wisconsin community can you just like tell us a little bit about your what you what your first reactions are what you think about that Well, what I think is that it's just great how when we interviewed them, they said that the community has been so accepting with them, and I just thought that it was great that they don't even, that they're not even from here. I mean, they came from Laos, but they're just so dedicated to the community and giving back to it and trying to provide healthy food for everyone and education for them about farming. So I know Chu, who is the man that runs the farm, he said that he wants to treat everybody like his own family. When they come up, he doesn't want to give them food that's been covered in pesticides. He wants to give them something that he would feed his own family. That's so wonderful. So they're just great people. They treat you like do. family. Exactly. Like yeah. their motto, like the Olive Garden motto, you know. I treat, yeah. I treat you like your family. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, like that. So wonderful. And, that yeah, that's amazing. It's, from what I've gathered, it's amazing how, like, they're just so dedicated to the organic farming. Mm-hmm. And they're, it's just, they're dedicated to that. And I would like to talk to, like, both your comments on this, actually. Um, in the past few generations, there has been sort of a resurgence of the organic farming community. From what I've seen and what I've noticed, I don't know if either one of you have um, seen this or not, but our generation was more of the big fast food chain and the big going out to dinner and going out and all like the big worldwide, nationwide, cross-cultural food exchanging. But now it's more of this resurgence of the the farm-to-table restaurant, the farmer's market, the organic farming, uh, more of a resurgence of of organic farms, even though I've personally done research into how how one becomes certified as an organic farmer, and it's in- ridiculous. Some of the yeah, stuff they had to go like through. Three years and yeah, it's crazy. all the certification yeah. and ridiculous. I know. Um, I did research on the oh the farm out in Palmyra. There was there is an organic farm out in Palmyra that makes supplements, mm-hmm. and they um, standard process standard process. Oh, yeah. That's what it is. I apologize. Um, but they they I did a little research on them when I first started the project, and they. Um, told me at how how insane it is how that they to be um to be certified as an organic farm like they have to go through so many certifications and it's like a three five year process and it's mm-hmm. it's insane now even though it's insane how much they have to go through even though it is the healthiest option yeah with all of that being said mm-hmm. um my my question to both of you and whoever wants to take this is what has been your experience, Emily, with you and your research on that growing up on a farm with the organic farming? Did either one of you, have you come across organic farming? Or what is your general reaction to the Vang and the organic farming? Annette, have you had reaction to, or have you, excuse me, have you had experience with the organic farming community or ex- had experience organic farming yourself? What is your general reaction about organic farming in general? Annette, let's start with you. Um, well, I've never had experience with it, but... Um... My boyfriend actually worked on an organic farm, and they grew everything on their own. Um, so it was run by um, a man and his wife, and, like, they had different workers on the farm, but I know they grew, like, tomatoes, just, like, um, I don't even remember where to start, but they just grew everything on their own, and it was all organic. So, um, so he said he learned a lot of how to grow his own vegetables from working on the farm and making sure, like, there's no pesticides or any of that stuff on it. But So that's, like, not from me personally because we don't do organic on my farm, but that's a story that I can share that I've heard about organic farming. That's wonderful, yeah, and your boyfriend, um, yeah, it just, like, it's, like, seems like from his experience with the organic farming that it just promoted, like, a general healthier lifestyle mm-hmm. for him, even though, like, it's very rigorous work, it's incredibly hard work, but it just promotes a, it promotes a 
um, sort of a healthier lifestyle, mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah, definitely it does. Of course. Emily, let's transfer over to you. What has been your experience with um, the organic farming community, with the Vangs, and what's your general reactions to it? Have you had any experience with it? Let's let's go. Um, well, what I know with what the Vangs said is that it's all about kind of just being healthier. Like uh, Mr. Vang said, he made some comment about when he goes to a grocery store and he goes to buy apples, he looks for not the ones that are nice and glossy and shiny because he knows that they've been covered with some sort of chemical. He goes for the ones that maybe have that little dent in them where a worm has probably bitten it. He goes, those are the ones I want for my family because those are the ones that have been grown the healthy way. And I think that's just amazing. I mean, getting away from all of these chemicals that, I mean, we have no idea how they affect our bodies yet. So just kind of moving towards the uh, supporting that natural cause. And I love the farm-to-table practice with just buying from your local farmers, and especially with farmers markets. I know um, the Madison Farmers Market is, like, the biggest in the country, and I've read some different sources that say people go down there with, they're like all these super fancy restaurants go down there with these red wagons and they just pick their food for the day right there. I mean, it's just so healthy and it's just a great way to support your local farmers. And I think it's definitely the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Then that, yeah, thank you. Thank you for all. I thank you both for all of that. And yeah, just some general reactions from both. You've said, yeah, it's, it's really amazing how this resurgence of this research of the organic community has come about the last 10 years or so. And I think it's been, correct me if I'm wrong, either one of you, I think it's really just this social notice that we all have kind of had of how how unhealthy some of our foods have been. I mean, it's crazy when you go to the grocery store and you see, if you go down your local produce aisle and you go to, you go see like, you know, tomatoes or apples, as you said, Emily, and um, they're like, there's these huge glossy pieces Mm -hmm. of fruit, but we know they don't grow naturally like Mm -hmm. that in the wild or they don't grow naturally like that. And it's amazing. Like we just, we eat it. We don't even question what, what we're putting into our own bodies it's, I know it's crazy. I was watching a documentary the other day. It was on Food Incorporated on Netflix. I recommend it, folks. <laughs> but um, it was, they were amazing. They were talking about how it's only like four or five major food companies in the world control control most of our, most of our food production. And, oh, there's certain, there's certain chemicals and pesticides that they put into the foods that make them look like that. They make them look glossy and big and shiny and everything. But yet we don't even notice that. And yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. But moral of the story, the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project is proud to support local farmers. And as, as only as you know, we are proud to support local farmers. And I would also like to plug the Madison the as Emily said, the Madison Farmers Market because yes, I've been to it several times. It is absolutely beautiful. It is gorgeous. I love going down there on a Saturday in the summer, just walking around. Have I? I know Emily. Have you been to that personally? I haven't, but my aunt makes a lot of her own uh, natural products, like soaps and different cleaners, and she attends a lot of farmers markets. And I've been to some of those. That's wonderful. So, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a cool environment. That's wonderful. Really yeah, is. Annette, have you been to the Wisconsin or Wisconsin the Madison Farmers Market? Um, I have caught the tail end of it before um i went to state street for the day just to do some shopping then i was noticed how i was so busy there like literally it was just like flooded with people everywhere and so i actually got to take the chance they were starting to close up though um but just to see some of the stuff they had and it was pretty amazing just the variety of stuff that they offer there i know it's amazing and like plus two like not only is it healthier for you but you're just like like Emily as you mentioned you're supporting local economy you're supporting mm-hmm. local business you're supporting mm-hmm. local businesses and local farmers who have put in their hard work and their dedication and their livelihood into this this passion and this type of work and it's amazing but um Emily there was something interesting you know you said that your aunt makes organic soaps and everything mm-hmm. it's interesting how cuz when i think of a farmers market i think of you know produce and mm-hmm. all produce mostly just produce but farmers markets are not all just about you know the leafy greens and the fruits of the world they're all about like organic soaps and a net like you said like with the, like organic meats that came from your farm like what what are both your reactions to like the social stigmas about like what we perceive as a farmers market and everything 
Well, from what I know that my aunt does, she sells a whole bunch of stuff. Her company is Journey to Greendom, and they do all-natural bug spray, which is pretty great. Uh, different soaps, um, they have the greatest lip balm ever. It's like all I ever use. But it's just a way... Better than Burt's Bees? Yeah, way better than Burt's <laughs> Bees. But it's just a place where people can go and just sell their own products and just, I don't it's like just to get it out there. And even with the... Um, organic food or even I've seen people like make aprons like my grandma's handmade aprons it's just a place to sell things that I don't like you just don't have a company for I guess of course yeah yeah and just support your local community members and their projects of course can you say the name of your aunt's company again oh it's journey to greendom journey to greendom all right shout out to journey to greendom here on the wisconsin farms oral history project radio so way to go aunt diane oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so you said they make all natural bug spray i have a question for you do they actually does this bug spray actually work on like the stuff you pick up from your local walmart and and it doesn't have DEET in it which is really nice um it's the best because we you could use it on dogs. It's mm-hmm. pet friendly. It's like baby friendly, and it smells amazing. Not like that gross off. Stuff. All natural, and it actually works. You're getting the best of both worlds yeah, right there. Yeah. Oh, oh my awesome. goodness! Oh my goodness! <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Emily, there was one question. Thank you for all you said, and thank you for your input as well. Um, getting back to what um, we were originally talking about with your research, Emily, mm-hmm. um, is there any specific research that you are just starting to work on now or you would like to work on in the future? Why don't you tell the audience members about it, you know, give a little plug in there to Dr. Levy if he hasn't heard it yet, you know? Oh, well, uh, right now I'm really focused on the Vang Farm. Um, I've been doing a lot of preliminary research with them just to figure out who they are and what they do, and then a lot on Hmong history itself, and that's been, I mean, fascinating. It's just really cool to learn about all of this stuff that I would never learn about in a classroom on my own, really. So that's kind of my primary goal right now. I'm, since we've done the interview, I'm now going to go into the more contextual research part of it to see what they said, and then just research about things that have been related to them that have been going on while they've been alive and just figure out, like, the different stuff that pertains to the family. But my favorite thing about the project is, because I'm a big history nerd, and I think that history is all about stories and collecting people's pasts and just preserving them. So my favorite part of it is just hearing people's stories and what they've gone through and how they got here, and it's just amazing. So I also do transcripts for the project, which is typing up the histories uh, that we've, the oral histories that we've collected, and just doing more of those. They're I just love to hear the stories because I'm a little nervous when it comes to actually interviewing people. So when I don't have to actually interview them and I get to listen to it, it's a bonus. So just collecting more stories is really my, and I don't know, it's kind of a selfish point for me, but... No, that's not selfish. It's just, <laughs> you're just doing your work, and it's a very admirable work. And on top of yeah, it's just, it's just, it's so amazing. I know both you and I can vouch for this. It's just so amazing to hear the people's stories and their their experiences and just their their beautiful memories about life and wisdom. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just, it's just something wonderful to share and to hear about. Yeah, it's just, I feel honored to be able to preserve these memories right. that people have so that they're not like lost in time, you know, right. that we can kind of give right. people a little piece of immortality. Right. It'll also benefit future scholars. Of course. Who will look on it for research. Of so course. Like it's the very just great. the very essence of history is to save for posterity. Mm-hmm. The very with without that element of history, we could not both you and I would not be in the careers we are in right now or the pathways we are in right now. Mm-hmm. And I think I speak for both of us here when I say that to save to save stories is like the ones you collect and that we have both worked on with the project is essential for the future of not of scholars but also I would argue for just society at large just because without saving these for posterity we can't learn about the past and we can't learn about lessons to learn from the past and I yeah, I just, I don't know. Without without them, I fear that the quote from Aldous Huxley will come true. He once said that the greatest lesson of history that is teach us is that men learn nothing from the lessons of history. <laughs> so I fear that 
in our work when we when we once we save these and we save these memories, we hear these memories and we save these and do research on them that we will hopefully prove him wrong someday. Yes, so hopefully. right. Um, that's getting yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a goal right there. Getting back to what you said before, though, you mentioned that you did you did the interview with the Vang family mm-hmm. last week with Dr. Levy. For those of you out there, we mentioned him several times already. Um, Dr. James Levy here at the UW Whitewater History Department is our advisor and mentor and boss, essentially, for the Wisconsin Farms yes. Oral History Project. He's a very brilliant man, very very intelligent, so dedicated, so dedicated, and when. If for those of our listeners out there, if you ever want to get in contact with him, with the farm project, I'll talk a little bit about that later, but if you ever want to get directly in contact with it, I highly recommend getting in contact with him. I'm sure if you went to the UW-Whitewater homepage on the internet, you will find him right away. He, I really recommend getting in contact with him if you want to get involved with us. So back to what you were saying, though. Mm-hmm. You said you conducted the interview with Dr. Levy, and you said something about doing contextual research after the interview. Can you give the audience out there who doesn't know very much about our work what contextual research is? Yeah, so that's basically if they mention something that happened in their lives, like uh, the Vangs were at a refugee camp in Thailand, uh, it's Man Vinay, I believe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But so I would go in and I would research all about that particular uh, refugee camp. So it's just kind of going at like whatever they mention, and then I go and research it and just collect as much as I can. So it just kind of compiles this even broader story of their life, but then it can be used to teach people about that particular refugee camp or about uh, different things that happened during their life. So just kind of, I don't know, bunch of research. Right, sort of, <laughs> sort of the behind-the-veil research behind what they actually said to you. So it's digging yes, deeper into what they told It's digging deeper, yeah. yeah. To put it, for lack, lack, of a better, <laughs> lack of a better word, yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Um, you mentioned earlier, because again, we are dedicated to diversity in this project, diversity within Wisconsin agricultural history and current agricultural um, issues affecting the, specific, the Wisconsin community. Um, you mentioned that you take, because of the Vang family in your research, that you take particular interest in the Hmong history in the Wisconsin farming community of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Can you give us um, the sort of, how do I put this, the, how much information is out there or what the, the deep, the, the history behind the Wisconsin, the Hmong, the Hmong community in farming in Wisconsin, is there, is there, has there been a big history behind that? Is there, is it just starting, is it just starting to surge now? Is it just starting to be researched now and it hasn't been known before? What are your, what are your insights on it's that? It's actually really fascinating. So a lot of these people fled from the communists in the 70s and 80s. And so they moved here. The government allowed us something like 70,000 Uh, refugees into the U.S. and what they did was spread them out so that their population wouldn't be too much of a burden for a particular community. But these people are so connected to their families and close that there was kind of the second migration of people into specific communities where all of their family members were. Mm -hmm. And so Wisconsin is actually the third largest population of Hmong people in the country. Yeah. Uh, I think California and Minnesota are the other two big ones. And so these people here, they kind of, um, a lot of them do, from my research, I mean, I'm not generalizing Hmong people, but a lot of them, since in Laos, they were very connected to farming, that they come here and uh, they farm here because it's just kind of that way that they lived and they grow the food that they used to back home, which some of it, as we talk to the Vangs, they actually can't grow some of it because right. of the... Um, right, right. From yeah, a sociological perspective, it seems it. like... <laughs> yeah, from a sociological perspective, it seems that the traditions of the Laos people has been very has been subsistence farming and that it seems like from if correct me if i'm wrong if from what you have gathered it seems that they bring that heritage and that tradition with them over to the united states Mm -hmm. okay 
And it's very interesting. I find that so interesting how it's they come from California and then there's Wisconsin and Minnesota. Like they're they're not like close neighbors yeah, or anything. It's no. so interesting. Have you found any insights on that as to why that might be? I or? haven't really. It's just more of uh, these kinship bonds and then uh, different like clan leaders and things like that. And they just all move together. And um, I guess Milwaukee is like a hot spot. Eau Claire I've read about. I've read... I thought, uh, I never really, I, before starting this research, barely even knew what Hmong was. And so I thought that it was really interesting how these people um, are so prevalent in the society. And uh, it's really just, there's so much research out there about it. Like, I read thesis dissertations about... Really? Yeah, about this. And it's just people go to farmer's markets and then just study the different people and the Hmong farmers that sell produce there. Really? Yeah, and that's somebody's entire master's work. <laughs> right. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's wow. a it's a pretty hot topic, I guess. Wow, that's so interesting. And, and it's a so rich topic. is it yeah, of course, exactly. If they're dissertations and master's thesis on it, mm-hmm. it's obviously a very prevalent idea and a very prevalent lot of research behind it. So um you said that they that they, we have the third largest Hmong, Hmong population mm-hmm. and um has that grown? When did we achieve that status? Like, when was that? When did we achieve it? Was it around a certain time from your research, uh, or has I, it been in just the last like decade? Or I don't really know. I think we might have been bumped up to the number two spot okay. in recent times, but I know that it's just right after that wave of uh, refugees here, they just all started right. moving to particular areas to just connect with family. Right, that's interesting. The reason why I ask is because, as you said in that, um, that the really only, the for, as far as diversity, when we, when we talk diversity um, in your community, it was mostly with the Hispanic farm workers in, um, and from the one farm that you associated with, and you didn't have any contact with Hmong farmers, as you as you said earlier. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Okay, that's very interesting. Well, maybe do a little bit of research on that, yeah. Emily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Write a thesis on it. Write a thesis. Yeah, I'm gonna say yeah, master school, right? And master, I'm thinking, are you thinking? Yeah, and you said master, so I'm like, well, I'm gonna be applying to grad school here in about the next year or so. Oh, I mean, oh, oh maybe yeah. I know it's scary to think about. I don't want to think about that. So moving along. Um, <laughs> Emily, I would like to um, just say conclude or say one more th- question that I have to ask you, and then I'll wrap up here. But um, you are you mentioned that, or you I know from our talks that you say that you are an art historian, my you are an art history minor, mm-hmm. and that um, that and public history go very hand in hand. Yeah. Could you talk about how your experience as an art minor? art historian minor has impacted your research or has your research or your experience within this project the Wisconsin Farms oral history project well the reason I chose art history as my minor was to get that more visual aspect of curating and preserving things and so I mean as historians we think of preserving documents and but with art it's more of the 3d tangible paintings and sculptures and I mean so many things can be considered art so really what I bring from that is just more of a love of preserving things I think Mm -hmm. I mean just displaying things and different artworks that I mean I would love to run a museum one day like Mm -hmm. I said and just putting things out into the public in a more interesting way in a more I don't know, visual way than in a classroom or something. So Mm -hmm. what I love about the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project is getting to take these histories and even we uh, take any artifacts that people have from their farms and like digitize them and study those. And so it's just taking all of that and then preserving it and sharing it with the public. And I think the project has a great 
great means of doing that. Right, right. And I know I know from what Dr. Levy has said that we are getting more into the uh, the presentate the presentation part of the project mm-hmm. where being able to present things to the public as we are the public um his yeah. the public history internship here on campus. Mm-hmm. But um and I know yeah like your art history that has come very hand in hand with preserving yeah. and well because public history is just so much about artifacts and about I mean we're learning now in my public history course. Uh, it's just so much about material artifacts mm-hmm. and just being able to look at something and see the history in it. Oh, right. And so I think that's what a lot of the art history gives me. And then it's kind of something that I bring to the project of just that love of trying to just get things out there to people that right. in an interesting way. Right. It just a, a, it, it reinforces that idea of getting your ideas out to the public. Then mm-hmm. it's, it's moral of the story. Then. Exactly. That kind of displaying part of it. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, it is now 1250, 1252, and I know we are just about to wrap up here. So I think we are going to wrap up this session of the first broadcast. If you had, you both have any closing things you like, closing moments you like, closing statements, closing moments you like to say? Uh, well, thanks for having me. It yeah, was of course. great no, to thank you both talk for about farm experiences and learn more about Emily's studies here at Whitewater. Well, that th- was really awesome. Of course, yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you both for being in here. I was going to say. And um, Annette, how about you mention you want to plug your uh, want to plug your family farm while on air here to all the listeners out there. Oh, Weedle Family Farms. Weedle Family Farms in Beaver Dam, <laughs> Wisconsin. Emily, do you have anything to plug? I know the Vang family and oh, the... Oh, Vang C&C Farms. They're in Jefferson, Wisconsin. There you have it, folks. Vang all C&C organic. Farms in Jefferson, <laughs> Wisconsin. Well, well, all our listeners out there, I want to thank you all for listening today. I want to thank my two wonderful guests. Thank you so much for being here, ladies, and I hope we can do this again sometime in the future. Um... For those of you that have listened to, for those of you that have been listening out there today and are curious to get in contact with us, our website is wisconsinfarms.org. That is again wisconsinfarms.org, and it is our website for specifically for the Wisconsin Farms Oral History Project. You can find on there our our mission statement, our some recorded oral histories or stories, interviews that we have put on there. You can get in contact with us and with our professor again. That's Dr. James Le here at the UW Whitewater History Department. You can get in contact with him for there. And also, for those of you out there that are big on social media, you can go to our Facebook page that is, shockingly, the Wisconsin Farms Oral History (laughs) Project on our Facebook page. And feel free to contact me. My name is Joseph Maurer. I am... My name is Joseph Maurer. Um, it is spelled, Joseph is spelled J-O-S-E-F. Maurer is M-A-U-R-E-R. Um, you can find me on, you can try to contact me through the UW-Whitewater um, homepage on the internet and also just look up Joe Maurer on Facebook. I would be happy to get in contact with you. Um, as for future radio broadcasts, I think our next future um, interview on air will be on the 22nd, or excuse me, the 21st of February. That will be two weeks from today, I believe. So... Isn't that right? I think I got yeah, that correct. right. Yeah, so. that's correct. That's yeah. A, that's right. So two weeks from today, I'm hoping to have inter- I'm hoping to have another guest on here to interview about their experiences about Wisconsin farming or Wisconsin agricultural history and just uh, basically the farming of this great state. So I want to thank you all for being here today. You heard Wisconsin Farms Radio on 91.7 The Edge at WSU Whitewater. I hope you all have a great Sunday and Super Bowls today, I believe. I know the Packers aren't in it, so I really don't care, but <laughs> um, I believe it's the Broncos and the Panthers, I believe. I don't know. I know, mm-hmm. Annette, you're excited. I'm making my uh, my barbecue chicken flatbread. So oh, never excited. disappoints. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that'll go well. So again, I want to thank you all for listening to us, and you all have a great day, and watch some football and be your friends and family. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah. We're still on it. No, I turned it off. I believe, yeah. Yeah. What's playing now? (laughs) Thank God. (laughs)